This is Around the Rim with LaChina Robinson. Hello, basketball fans. Um, Yeah, it's your favorite time of the week. A brand spanking new episode of your ESPNW women's basketball podcast, Around the Rim. And Tarika finally turned the music down so y'all can hear my voice. Um, We're not going to start the show like this, LaChina. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I thought I was just going to ride out to the music for the rest of the intro. <laughs> um, I'm your host, LaChina Robinson. That is the voice of my fantastic and fabulous producer, Tarika Frosted-Brasby. And that giggling you hear in the background is our co-host, two-time WNBA champion, and about to be um, big time producer slash director slash video editor out here on the scene, Devro Peters. Dev, what's up? Got some big things popping tonight. We heard. Yeah, it well, it, technically in the morning, but yes, working oh. on some stuff. <laughs> we on AM time? Oh, I thought it was a PM launch. You supposed to be prime time, Dev. You supposed to let that thing. I'm not. Like- I'm not that big yet. Uh, anyway whatever dev is going to fill us in on her 45th job of the summer oh i don't like that number 44th job of the summer um in the fourth quarter but we have a lot to get to guys because it is all-star season um that's right next weekend is the WNBA all-star game so we've got some things to talk about around all-star uh, different breaking news happening around the WNBA as well. Some milestones for big players in the league. So we've got a lot to discuss. And, of course, what are we going to do? We're going to debate it. Um, and Tarika is going to ask us all the questions. So, Tarika, I'm done. You can take it away. All right. Well, let's head into our first quarter. First quarter. All right. Well, uh, Sylvia Fowles is out here doing amazing things. So for our first quarter, we are going to blow the whistle on uh, several people, ideas, and topics. And we're going to start off with Big Seal, who set the WNBA record for double-doubles. She did so with her 157th career double-double, which broke Lisa Leslie's mark of 156, which she set back between 1997 and 2009. So, Dev, I'm going to start with you because you played with her, won a championship with her in 2015. Just talk a little bit about what being around that kind of greatness and watching it happen, what it does to a player, um, and, and what we can continue to expect from her. Man, first of all, playing with Syl was probably like one of the most fun and great experiences I've ever had because she is such a dominant player, probably one of like the most dominant players I've ever seen. Because when Syl decides that she wants to do something, there's really nothing that you can do at that point. It's just going to happen, and you just have to hope she misses or that something else happens by the grace of God. Because when she puts her mind to doing something, it's getting done. There's not too many players that can stop her. And it's just crazy to watch her come through the league the way she has and just progress and do so much. And it's it's really not surprising that she's reached this pinnacle because, like I said, she is ridiculously dominant. I remember, like, the first year that she was in Minnesota with us, and um, that was back when Asia Jones was on the team. And we were in practice, and – um, it was the starters versus the bench, and I'm I'm playing with – at the time, I think Asia was still coming off the bench, and I was playing with her. And Phil gets a post-up, 
And so we trap her naturally because I can't guard her by myself. So we trap her, push her all the way behind the basket. She's like teetering on the baseline. We're like, cool. She's probably about to step out. She somehow miraculously reaches from behind the basket and comes back up and scores from literally behind the rim. Like she's about to be out of bounds. No idea how she did it through a double team, but that's just what she does. Like she's just this amazing player that can just completely change a game. And when she's like in that mode where she she's like, I'm doing this and I'm pissed off. Like she's, she's like that Diana type where you don't want to piss her off because when she's, she's irritated, it's a wrap. She's just going to completely take over a game. And I mean, it's just showing this how consistently she's done this with her 157 career double doubles. Like, it's just amazing to watch. She's a ridiculously dominant player, and I think will continue to do so for as long as she decides to play. I, she hasn't really slowed down yet. <laughs> so I think at that point, it's really just going to be up to her when she decides to let it go, and that's when we'll see a drop, and it'll be because she retired. LaChina, when you put uh, Sylvia on that list of like all-time greats in this game and at her position, um where do you rank her? Like, where where can you see anybody coming after her? Um, where do you think, as far as records, as far as uh, records that she can possibly still break? Like, where is she on that list to you of all-time great WNBA players? Yeah, I mean, I don't have the numbers, like, as far as where she is with milestones, but I'd like to guess that, based on what Devereaux just said, because I feel the same way like Phil may have one of the longest careers that we will ever see in the WNBA um obviously when you think about dominant post players you know I mean you think about Lisa Leslie you think you know and and it's interesting because I say Lisa Leslie but have we ever really had a player that dominated the low block as consistently and as long as Sylvia Fowles will, you know, like that's more the question because to me, post play is changing, right? Even Brittany Griner is who will also, I think have a long career. I'm not sure as long as still though. Like when we look at the years at the end, I don't know if BG's career will be as long as, as Sills will. I hope it will, but it all starts with the way Sylvia is built. And I can remember like, even before she got to LSU. And of course, when she was at LSU, people just saying like, what do you do with her? She's six six, and she has probably more balance and more lower and upper body strength. I mean, and I'm talking about like shoulders, core, all that matters, you know, in the post when you're getting double, triple teams. Um, she has the physical build. And, 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 and I don't think we talk about the physical attributes enough. Um, in the WNBA, I know we did a lot when Brianna Stewart came out because she was so lanky and, you know, it's kind of, you know, the size and the skill set together that makes her special, but still has a power to her game. And early on in her career, I think people underestimated uh, what she could be as just a power player. You know, it was like, oh, still needs to develop a, a hook shot. Still needs to be able to shoot from, the free throw line still has got to expand her game. Does she really, did she ever have to do that? She's been an MVP in this league. She's dominated. Even when she was 
at, in Chicago, she was taken for granted, okay, because they didn't have very good teams in Chicago. But she's been doing this for years. Every season, she's amongst the best. Rebounds, scoring, blocks, field goal percentage. And she has had some injury stuff here and there, but for the most part, still has been healthy and on the floor, never making excuses, you know, playing with that same attitude. And there was a switch. You know, I remember when she played on some of the early USA basketball um, teams, like the Olympic teams, and there were times where Sill wouldn't get off, you know, they wouldn't get a lot of time on those teams. And obviously you've got great talent playing in front of her, but I think also the systems that we see people playing doesn't allow for a back-to-the-basket type post. Everybody fell in love with the five out. You know, we don't want a low block player. We want spacing. We want this. Well, obviously, if you ask Cheryl Reed, you want a Sylvia Fowles, right? Like, who does not want a player that you can give them the ball in the low block, night in and night out, and they can go to work? And they command an extra an extra player, an extra defender, which opens up the floor. So I guess my thing with, with Sylvia is she's done it her way. And um, I, I think a lot of people slept on her effectiveness. I think she's underappreciated. Um, you know, what we saw James Wade do with her in her time in Minnesota, I think was outstanding, which is, you know, she gives him a lot of credit for how she got to that MVP season and how she so seamlessly fit into a team that already had Hall of Famers in it. Like, I remember Cheryl Reed saying, I I, I was nervous about taking Sill because I didn't know how she would fit in. She's such a big, big player physically, but how would she, you know, vibe and she's like she is one of the most selfless people and deb you probably know this too she is a monster on the court and yes you do not want to make her upset and she is as ferocious as you think she is between the lines but she has to be one of the sweetest kindest most thoughtful people you could ever encounter off the court like just you won't find them. You you ask anybody in the league, coaches, everything, like, Sill is a great person to go along with that. So I just say that I think Sill's going to break as many records as she is in position to by the time she's done playing because Dev hit the nail on the head. She can retire at – I think Sill can retire at 40 if she wants to. I mean, borrowing any, like, crazy injuries, which, you know, knock on wood between now and then, like, what's what's going to stop her? You know, like the wear and tear. Like I don't even hear about still ever complaining about aches and pains ever. So the longevity alone and the number of games she will be able to play, Tarika, to your question, will allow her to surpass many of the greats of the WNBA in terms of records because, to me, the sky's the limit. All right. I know I'm excited to continue to see what Sylvia Files is going to bring. And I remember when we interviewed her um, last season, you can tell like those little Southern roots were coming out. She kind of seemed a little reserved at the beginning. And I was like, you would never know that from her watching her on the court that she kind of was a little shy when she first got on the on the interview. So uh, congratulations again to her and, and definitely looking forward to more accomplishments from her. Now, we're going to blow the whistle on the opposite end. Um, and by this, I mean your girl, LaChina. Your girl came back. And I asked very specifically if we thought that the Phoenix Mercury were going to take this W from my Connecticut son. And I think it was a consensus 
that they were, especially if Diana Ross, Diana Taurasi returned. However, um, in her return, she only played 16 minutes, scored five points. Phoenix lost 79 to 64. And then she also tweaked her back in that game, which uh, caused her to miss the following matchup against Minnesota. So the China, because you've been asking for this all year long. This has been your excuse. I'm going to start with you here because uh, I want to know, is there a little bit of a concern right now? Is there a concern that, you know, maybe we should not expect the same Diana to return, especially from a back injury, you know, that we have been accustomed to seeing? Like, maybe she just might not be the player immediately that we thought that she would be coming back. Should we be concerned? Sarika, I will admit that Diana was not as ready as I thought she might be making her season debut at Connecticut. What I probably did not factor in or think about, first of all, I've never had a a major back surgery or injury. I mean, I have a little scoliosis, but, you know, it's nothing compared to obviously what Diana has, has dealt with. And so I'm no medical doctor. You know, I am probably just more appreciating what Diana brings to the court and knowing the kind of impact she could have when she returned healthy. Now, with that being said, she got knocked around a little bit on some screens early on in that game. I probably did not account for the physicality of defense. You know, I don't think the first thing that comes to my mind when I think about Diana Tarazi is not defense. I love her to death. But um, I was thinking about her shot-making ability, her play-making ability uh, on the offensive end. But defensively, she took some hits on screens. I want to say in the first quarter and a half maybe of that game, I saw her hit the floor twice. And she was slow to get up a little bit. And when you think about how delicate a back is, I mean, it's connected to everything on your body. Like everything flows through what your back can do. And, um, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I even, in watching her, felt like her shot looked different to me and could be totally wrong. I mean, I've been watching, obviously, Diana Taurasi as long as she's been in the league, even UConn. And so I I feel like sometimes I can watch somebody's shot and tell if it looks different because I've just seen it so much. She just wasn't moving like I know her to move. Now, This is a very serious thing, obviously. So this is nothing to be taken lightly. And we have to talk about injury, unfortunately, because it's a part of the game. But I do hope that Diana returns to form. Um, It's just going to be a longer journey than I anticipated based on what we saw in that Connecticut game, but also the fact that she tweaked it again, you know, and you got to be careful with your back because DT, we want you on on the court, but you also have a long life ahead of you you know and so it's a tough thing it's tough and I don't even you know I just want to I just want to think about Diana being back and being healthy as soon as possible because that's the best Phoenix Mercury team that we'll see this year period now they did have some good wins leading up to her coming back are they able to be as good as they would if she was on the floor no never you know if she was on the floor healthy but you know, now Sancho's out four to six weeks. So Phoenix says they're they're limping a little bit. Dev, you've had to battle some injuries before. Can you speak to what it's like coming back from an injury? You know, the mentality that you have from that and then to kind of re-injure yourself 
right at the moment that you were ready to return? You know, what does a player go through? What's that mental um, hurdle that a player has to kind of overcome when returning from an injury? So the thing about injuries is that the most difficult part is the mental aspect. Like physically, your body is going to heal. It's going to get better. And if you do what you're supposed to do, you're going to get back to what you were doing before. But mentally is a grind because for one, like with knee injuries, you get back and it's a very slow process. It's a very tedious process. You're doing a lot of the same stuff over and over again for a very long time. And then you get back and it's like you are you know what you want to do because you've been playing basketball all your life, right? So you know what you, you want to do, but your body's on this delay. So even though you're healthy and you're you're like, cleared maybe to play you're still not to what you what you were before that's why like when people say you know like oh okay you know your your ACL is seven to nine months but from the time you get back it's really going to be like once you're cleared it's going to be a full like year until you get back to your normal state and that's normal the thing about Diana is that nothing about her is normal (laughs) so I think a lot of us expected her to come back and just be the alien that she is but she had back surgery. Like, like LaChina said, back surgery is not a game. Everything is connected to your back. Like, every move you make, you're moving your back. So, obviously, I feel like how she came out and played was how she should, like, we should have expected her to come out and play because she just got back as her first game. Like, this is normal for you to not be, maybe your form isn't the same. Maybe stuff is a little different. You're not moving as well because it's your first game and you're not used to this. And even it doesn't matter how much practice, even if she took more time, it doesn't matter how much practice you do. Nothing really truly simulates what a game is like. So once you get back on the court, there's still that adjustment to get back to you playing in a game situation and playing with the pace of the game and the flow of the game. That's still an adjustment in itself, even when you are cleared. So I, I feel like we kind of put a lot of pressure on Diana just because she's, a freak of nature and the, some of the stuff she does, like we've gotten so accustomed to seeing her do. Um, and so we put her on this, like such high expectations, but I mean, I obviously she tweaked it again and, you know, she's going to have to take some time to, you know, get that better. But I, I don't think that it's something that should be a whole lot of concern about. I think that she just needs more time and, that we need to be more realistic about what an injury does and what it takes to get back from an injury. Cause it takes time and it takes um, a lot for, for players to get back into that, that game shape and that game mentality. Absolutely. Well, we're definitely praying for Diana and wishing the best for her. And, and as you stated, LaChina, we want to see her back on the court um, in the best possible shape that we, that we can imagine her, her being in. Um, and then sticking with injuries, um, we got to blow the whistle on the Mystics, too, um, because they need their MVP bag. They entered their showdown against the Aces last week on a five-game win streak. Um, they were leading by 15 at halftime, but then an earthquake hit. And when that hit, they had to postpone the game. Um, they end up losing that game. And things haven't gone well for Washington ever since. Um, Elena Deladon suffered a nose, a broken nose um, in the first minute of the next game against the Sparks. And then they went on to lose the next two games after that. And Elena is still not back. And the Mystics have gone 0-4 since she's been gone. Um, I know Seattle 
and Minnesota and L.A. have all been tested at some point with playing without their star, without their MVP. But the Mystics haven't won a game all season without theirs. So, Dev, I'm going to stay with you and ask, how good is a team really if they can only appear to play at their best when their best player is on the floor? I mean, I, I still think that Washington is a good team. The The thing is, Elena is such a presence on the court that when she's missing, it's very apparent. And I'm not even saying the points. Like, okay, I think she's averaging like 16 points a game or something like that. That's, you know, quite a bit that you're going to lose. But also her presence on the floor. When she's on the court, teams have to worry about her. That means their defense have to collapse on her. They have to keep their eyes on her because she's so difficult to guard. And you usually can't guard her one-on-one. So she takes a lot of attention. When you take that away, you're creating an opportunity for a defense to maybe play more one-on-one D, not have to help as much, and maybe be able to focus on, like, other things and other players. And then that creates more difficulties for Washington. I don't necessarily think that means that they're not as good as we think we are, they are because we've seen how they play when they're all out there. And I think that one of the things that makes them so good is that they all know their roles and they play them extremely well. But when you take that dominant player like Elena out of that mix, everybody else has to step up and step up a lot because she makes such a difference on the court. And so, I mean, I don't want to say that they're – not as good. I think, I think you know, it can be hard sometimes, and you never really know what else, you know, a team is going to, through. Coach T, I think, said that, you know, um, they've been dealing with some other little nagging injuries, so you don't really know always what's going on with a team when they're losing like this. Um, so, I think that it's been a mix of, of different things, but they're definitely missing her, and I think that once she gets back on the court, they'll be back to what they were doing and how they were playing. But I think at this point, they just need each player to kind of step up and do that much more. Because, like, last game they only lost by four uh, to the Aces. And, I mean, it wasn't a bit huge deficit. They struggled a bit with fouls. But um, not having her on the court and not having, like, her able to bring out Asia out on the, on the perimeter guard or Liz, it makes a difference. So I think that they'll be fine. I think that they can step up and close out some of these games um, if they have everybody really dig their heels in and do a little bit more. Um, but they they definitely want to have her back on the court. LaChina? Yeah, you know, it, I, I think Washington is capable of winning games without Elena Deladon, but I think the matchups in particular that they were dealing with were really hard games to play without her. I mean – L.A., NECA hit, like, five threes. Like, that was <laughs> in itself, <laughs> like, one of those things that, well, I don't, I mean, I hope she's extended her range and it'll continue, but it may also never happen again. Um, and Elena and, and NECA usually spend some time, you know, guarding each other in the course of the game. NECA has to spend a lot of time guarding Elena Deladon, which wears her out some. So maybe that would affect it, have affected the game. Phoenix, it's hard to play against the length of Phoenix without 6'5 Elena Deladon. What people don't give Elena credit for is that she is long. 
And she can test shots when she's down low, when she just, she's a great, she's having a great rebounding season. So when you're playing against an LA, which is uber athletic on the glass or Phoenix with Bonner and Griner having to deal with all that. And then the aces that have size on size on size, like you said, Dev, who's pulling Asia Wilson out and, you know, what are those matchups looking like with Liz Cambage? And yeah, you did get Emma Meesum in back, which is good for Emma to get those minutes, uh, I think it's a lot of pressure to put on her coming back, having to face the aces, but she's not the defender that Elena Deladon is, like, in terms of how she uses her length and, you know, just understanding, you know, player tendencies. She definitely has a leg up on, on Emma. And I'm not making excuses for, I mean, those teams won those games, um, you know, flat out. But I do think it's hard, especially for a team like Washington that relies on hitting shots to be successful, um, for them to do it without Elena on both ends of the floor. Um, so, I, you know, had they played their next three games against Indiana and Atlanta and Minnesota without Elena, would they lose? I would give a better better chances of winning those games than I would the ones that they played without her. Uh, but I definitely think Emma Mieseman being back is going to give Washington just another punch. Um, I was reading on Twitter from Lindsey Gibbs that uh, Elena Deladon is back practicing and it looks like she's going to play in their next game. So I'm more interested in seeing what Washington looks like fully healthy with Emma Meesum in back because they've had to bring her back, pull her out. Elena Deladon's out, then she's not. So what will Washington look like at full tilt and will it work? Um, that's That's probably the bigger question I had in my mind moving forward. Awesome, ladies. Well, we're going to close out our first quarter with our new WNBA commissioner, Kathy Engelberg. She has officially began her tenure. Um, for those who have been living under a rock, she is the first WNBA commissioner and she was appointed, uh, she was announced to that position in May. She is the former CEO of Deloitte LLC and she had a lot of success in the business world, but she's going to have to hit the ground running in the WNBA. So, Lachina, let's start with you. Uh, what are some things you think that needs to be on her to-do list as she starts her tenure over this league? So, wow. I mean, it, it's that many. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot. And so much so that I don't even dare to try to prioritize things, but here's what I'll say. And, and I've, there are a lot of friends of mine that have taken over organizations I'd say in a lot of the last five years that have done this that I think it's important for Kathy to do I think it's important for her to go on a listening tour like I think she needs to identify all the key stakeholders in in the WNBA in its success whether it's the current staff former players fans of different franchises Find a way to get feedback from different people about their experiences, about, you know, what they see needs to be fixed or can be fixed. Because there are some immediate needs. There's some we're going to get to it. And then there's some longer term things. And I, and I think understanding the perspective, that's the one thing um, that is common across all of the stakeholders of the WNBA is that. I don't think they feel like their voices are being heard. Like I'm on Twitter and people are like, oh, the WNBA.com website is, you know, putting the wrong player up here or doing this or doing that. Like that's stuff that has to be fixed immediately, right? Like, 
And that's something that we hear most of the time from from fans or people that are consuming that or some of the former players that maybe feel like they're not as involved or have as big of a role as they'd like to be. So I think the first thing is a listening tour. Now, she's going to have some immediate things on the business side as well. I mean, they're trying to, to drive the bottom line, right? So coming up with her strategy or plan for how the league can get butts, more people in the seats, make more money. Um, she's got a CBA that's obviously very important that's happening. I think this domestic violence issue, which we're going to get to shortly, but that has to be at the tippy tippy top. Cause I think sometimes in, in an organization like this, you don't realize what you don't have in your articles until <laughs> you don't have it and, and things are happening and you're like, okay, so what is the precedence here? And you may not have enough, right? Like the Raquana Williams situation or Natasha Howard, like you need to reinvent and reinvigorate your articles of, of existence so that you can address some of these issues in a, in a consistent way. So that's something I think she'll, she'll do. But my number one thing is hear the people out, like hear what current players, you know, fans, Create a way, like I would spend the time getting a firm to create some kind of feedback portal where, you know, I mean, I'm not suggesting she sit down and listen to all of these people, but find a way to get the data, to hear the voices, and um, then start your strategy for what's most important. But I think there's often been a disconnect between what the WNBA feels like the most pressing issues are, what needs to be addressed immediately or where they want to put their resources and where the fans and the media and the players feel like they should be focused. So they need to start with a large, Kathy needs to start with a large lens and, and take in some different perspective. I would rather them do that than to come in right away making a bunch of changes and doing a bunch of stuff that isn't going to hit the heart of the issues of the people that really care and work for this league. Dev? Um, I agree. I agree with that. I maybe, maybe the order is a little different for me. I think definitely this whole domestic violence um, issue issues need to be addressed first um, just because that's, actually happening right now and it's kind of a hot mess um and i think they really have to nail that down now um and then also i think second should be the cba negotiations and really start figuring that out just because um that process is coming up and i know once the off season i've been through one of those before and once the off season comes around it kind of gets hectic and it starts to get a little crazy um so i think that that's definitely something that needs to be addressed and start navigating earlier on. Um, and the reason I put that ahead of, you know, kind of what, what China was speaking on about um, talking to the fans and, and the players and, you know, the um, investors and everything, I I think that is extremely important as well because I don't think that a lot of people have done it and actually listened to what the issues have been. Because, um, like she said, a lot of people have been speaking on the same issues consistently. Um, but I think especially with this new rebrand and um, the marketing that they've been doing lately, it's been doing very well. Um, and so I kind of feel like they're starting to head in the right direction with that. Um, so it could go maybe a little bit lower on the list. 
um, because they've already started it off well. But yeah, I think for now those those three are definitely the top because, like she, like said, there's there's a there's a very 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 long list of things that need to happen. Um, she she's got some big shoes to fill right now um, and a lot of work to do. But um, I think priorita- prioritizing um, correctly will really kind of help smooth things out a little bit. All right. Well, yeah, I think you guys are all on to something that definitely needs to work on player discipline. And I'm pretty sure the CBA is definitely on her um, list of things to do. But just really quickly before we move into our second quarter, I was reading an article that was written by our own Michelle Vopel on ESPNW's website. And she had an article similar to this about what she thinks that, you know, the the new commissioner should also prioritize. And one of the things she listed was having a conversation with Maya Moore. And I thought that that was very, very interesting because um, I, I think that there are some things that she could definitely learn um, from various perspectives by talking to Maya. And I, I, it didn't dawn on me, obviously, before I read the article. But afterwards, if anybody is interested, going over to ESPN. Uh, w.com and checking out the article but I thought that that was interesting that she pinpointed her specifically as one of the players to have a discussion with and also to clearly define the role of the WNBA ambassador that Brianna Stewart is going to be taking on that that's probably something that a lot of people are going to be wondering about and I'm not sure if that falls into that immediate need or something that we can get to but I do think that those two were very interesting uh, points to, to, to touch on yeah, I'm not sure where Maya comes from. Do you know, Tarika, why she picked Maya? Yeah, she basically um, she basically was talking about that, you know, Maya deciding that um, she didn't really want to talk right now in a, a recent article that came out in the New York Times um, that, you know, about why she was really taking off this year from basketball. And, you know, she talked about the work and stuff that she was doing with the criminal justice system and all of that. But just honestly, like since she has not been uh, playing this year, I don't want to say falling off the grid, but she hasn't really been talking to anybody. She's not granted anyone interviews. Um, there are rumors that she's working on a documentary um, that she's basically taking this time away from sports and media and literally like going on a for real break. But she still feels that Maya is a very important piece to women's basketball. And uh, I mean, I would say even a future Hall of Famer. And so I think she's just saying that as important as she is to the game, even if she doesn't want to play, it may be worth having a conversation of how she can still be contributing to the marketing of this league, um, even with her not being on the court. Which I think is valid. I mean, I, here's what I'll say. I, I think there are a lot of players that could give that perspective. Um, I would like for her to talk to Maya, but I would also like for her to talk to other players too. Right. So, uh, but I did agree with Michelle. I mean, Michelle also said discipline and she said talking to the fans mm-hmm. and Maya and the Brianna thing. But I, I also agree with the Olympics, you know, coming up. I thought that was a very good point. Absolutely. Um, you know, talking that up. But yeah, I mean, I, yeah, talk to Maya, but talk to everybody else too. Great, absolutely. I don't know if I agree with talking to Maya, to be honest. <laughs> because if you know Maya, Maya's decisions are solely Maya's decisions. Like, right. You may I don't not know how much talking to her is going to. Yeah, like right. I don't really know what you're going to get from that because Maya is doing what she is thinks is best for her. Period. Mm-hmm. Like, 
and not even right. in a selfish way. Like she is making the decisions that she knows are good for her. So I don't, I don't know how much you're going to gain from that to be honest, because <laughs> I mean, she's just doing what she feels she needs to do. And I, I mean, I don't know right. that talking to her and like wanting her to like, Oh, can you be involved with it? Like if she's not involved with it, it's because she doesn't feel that she should be involved with something like period. Like that's it. There doesn't, I mean, she's not going to probably explain it and she doesn't have to, you know what I mean? Right. Like it's her decision. So I don't know. I don't know if I agree with that. I think there are people that may, I think she could, there are a lot of people that she could gain more from than Maya probably. All right, ladies. Well, we have blown the whistle and we will now be moving into our second quarter. Second quarter inside the huddle. Ladies, our second quarter, we are going to go inside the huddle to a very serious uh, subject and topic that has dominated the WNBA headlines um, over the last week and more specifically um, yesterday, which would have been Tuesday as we are recording this on a Wednesday. Um, so we'll start at the beginning of, of, of this past weekend where on Saturday, um, Storm Forward Natasha Howard's wife posted videos on Twitter from back in March where she was yelling at Howard about being threatened by her and had also posted some screenshots of conversations that she had had with Howard's agent and with the team's general manager, the Storm's general manager. Um, I think to some of us who are watching, the messages were very disturbing. Um, the video was quite disturbing as well. And the following day on on Sunday, the WNBA released a statement saying, and I quote, we are aware of the situation involving Natasha Howard and are in the process of gathering additional information. Fast forward to yesterday, which was Tuesday, and the WNBA suspended Los Angeles Sparks guard Raquana Williams for 10 games without pay as a result of a domestic violence incident involving her girlfriend or ex-girlfriend, I'm sorry, in December. Now, back in April, Williams was arrested on felony charges of burglary with assault or battery and aggravated assault with a deadly weapon without intent to kill, which stemmed from that December incident. Moving forward to today, the WNBA Players Association made a statement in which they were going to file a grievance on Raquana's behalf regarding the suspension. The president, Terry Jackson, actually said that the league should not have suspended her before the criminal case was closed. And in a statement, she wrote, and I quote, we are disappointed with the league's actions. There is an ongoing criminal proceedings and in fairness to the player, the league could have and should have awaited its completion before taking any action. Raquana has not had a fair opportunity to fully defend herself. and We are immediately filing a grievance and will seek the arbitrator's review. So this is a lot of heavy stuff that has been uh, happening over the last few days regarding domestic violence and player conduct. I, I want to give us an opportunity to hear from um, Sports Illustrated's Michael McCann, who appeared on Outside the Line to talk about um, the WNBA's current policy with dealing with domestic violence. Policy surrounding domestic assault allegations. Well, Ryan, there is no policy, and that's a glaring issue for the WNBA now and going forward. There is a personal conduct policy contained in the collective bargaining agreement, and it's a generic personal conduct policy that we've seen in other leagues that requires good citizenship and adherence to the law. But there's no specific domestic violence policy like found in the NBA. So that creates a bit of a disparity where in the NBA, when a player is accused of domestic violence, he can be placed on administrative leave, meaning he's separated from the team and still paid. Whereas in the WNBA, 
There's only a suspension or a fine, and in the case of Howard, that hasn't been used. So what are their options when you've got a player like Howard? You're hearing these accusations, but we make the point right now, no charges have been filed or anything like that at this point. These are allegations right now. Yeah, right. I, I think that's a crucial point. In Howard's defense, just for a moment, there's no criminal charge. There's no sworn testimony. These are accusations made in the public where they're not made under oath. I think for the WNBA and the, the Storm, they may want to wait a bit until there's some type of corroboration of the accusation that to immediately punish her now could, in theory, prejudice her in the legal system if the team's already saying you did it when they don't know if that's the case. Still, though, if there was a domestic violence policy in place, she could be placed on leave while the league gathers facts. And just to add a little context to that, even further, yesterday on Tuesday, it was uh, it did come out that Natasha Howard um, was denying the allegations and had filed for divorce from her wife. So, uh, LaChina, how or where do we begin to put <laughs> where do we begin to even put our finger on what we are witnessing and how these situations are are playing out the league's responsibility to how they are handling this? Where where are you mentally with this? Well, obviously, this is all very disturbing, right? Like, first and foremost, domestic violence at any level is very serious. And these charges that have been filed against Raquana Williams are very serious. There are no charges officially that I know of that have been filed against Natasha Howard. And that's one thing that makes these two situations very different. Um my overarching thought in this is that when there is, if there is any type of witness or someone who is saying that they were um, involved in or, or a victim of any criminal activity involving a WNBA player or in my thought, an athlete, like that is that is very serious because as I've said before on this podcast, athletes are role models. They are people that we put on a platform, on a pedestal. Whether you play one minute in a game or you or you hit forty or you score forty points in the game, you're some little girl's or some little boy's hero, right? And so um, we we take this very seriously. And not that athletes should be held to a higher standard, but. Just because of the nature of athletics, we all get to weigh in and all feel a part of what's happening because we've gotten to know these athletes and, you know, we respect them and all of the things that we already know about how sport works. So with that being said, these two situations are very different. But my overarching thought is that if you have something like what Raquana Williams has lingering with your actual charges or Natasha Howard, whose wife made very public statements on social media about abuse that she had been suffering, that you should not be participating in any type of team activities until that has been taken care of. Now, do I agree that they, there should be a loss of pay if you're not, um, if you're not deemed guilty in the court of law, no. I think you should still be able to make money. So that's where I disagree with what's happened with Raquana Williams. However, I just believe that in all fairness to the player and the league and their teammates and the fans, get it cleared up. You know, like actually see it through. 
where there is an outcome of guilty, of not guilty, of charges were dropped, of whatever the case is. Obviously, I hope that these incidents or wish that these incidents had never happened, but they have. Something has taken place. And I don't remember if the WNBA made a statement when Raquana Williams was initially um, charged that they were investigating, like clearly they have with, with, with Natasha Howard. But I think people would have, would respect that if they knew that there was going to be this process because now, you know, with the statements from the WNBA, they've said, well, we, we talked we talk to all these different peoples and we, people, we did our own investigation and this is what we came out with. Well, there were many of us that didn't know that all this was going on. And, and I just think the transparency could have helped. Like, I, I actually think that's the right way to handle it. Like, I don't think the WNBA has to wait for there to be a guilty verdict or an innocent verdict or whatever to handle it in a way that they see fit because we all know how court is. You can get, they can push that date all the way back to 2020, right? And that's not fair to anyone. And so I think it's okay for the WNBA to do their own investigations. You know, Raquana could have just not been playing during this time while they, you know, figure out what's going on and then boom. If they did come out and say 10 games, well, she's already served 10. You know, if she if they did come out and say, well, you know, we don't find anything, whatever, whatever, then let her back on the court. Because then at that point, at least there has been some entity that has paid enough attention to what has happened to do an investigation and to say, this is what we found. Because, yeah, it sucks if Raquana Williams goes to court in two months and they say she's innocent and she had to deal with all this. But guess what? That's what happens when you get charges pressed on you, period. And we do know there are some facts. We do know that she was there that night. We do know that there's enough evidence to say that this is just not some whack claim. So, you know, uh, 10 games says to me that the WNBA after this investigation feels like this, this is something very serious. And what if, Three months down the line, they say she's guilty and she pulled a gun on someone and, you know, actually did these things and had been playing in the league all summer. Like that to me is worse than them just taking the time to look into it, to do their own investigation and, you know, come up with something in a a timely manner. But this has not happened in a timely manner. There has not been enough transparency in the Natasha Howard situation, again, I just feel like until this is cleared up by someone, the WNBA, the, the court of law, I don't know, I don't think, again, charges have even been pressed on her, then take her off the court. Like, let her deal with that. How much stress is that on her, on the teammates and the fans saying, okay, what if she did this? What if she didn't? You know, having young kids, see, you know, Googling Natasha Howard, who's, now, who's an all-star, who's a starter on the all-star game, right. and saying, you know, what do we know about her? And that'd be one of the things that pop up. So I know I'm not making a lot of sense. This whole thing doesn't make a ton of sense. Like there's just so many moving pieces. So I'm trying to make sense of it. But at the end of the day, if you have charges pressed against you, or if you have serious allegations, like we're seeing with Natasha Howard, take them off the court, let them go through some kind of process with the WNBA where this situation is vetted and put them on the court you know, when you feel or if you feel based on that evidence that they should be there. Dev, your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I think I'll try to cover pretty much all of it. I, I, 
this is kind of why I felt that um, they shouldn't have signed Ruquana at all at the beginning of the season to avoid all of this and then maybe sign her when it kind of gets figured out because, like, to me, it just doesn't – none of this timing feels right to me because, okay, you're saying that you may have been investigating it, but this random 10-game suspension is coming on the heels of the NBA saying that they were pressuring the W, like, because they want her suspended. So that, I think, is a little funky to me as well. Um I agree with the idea of an administrative leave. I think that, you know, as soon as um, Kathy gets in, this is something that we need to figure out, like I said. And I think that needs to be implemented because at, at least that way it gives you time to investigate and figure out what's actually going on. And even if the player isn't, isn't, is innocent and it's not something that they actually did, they're still getting paid. So each side has time to figure stuff out and the player is still – able to, you know, like go on with their, you know, life and, and take some time to, to figure it out as well. But I, I just think this is this is handled so poorly and it really doesn't make a lot of sense because there have been multiple domestic violence incidents before. Like there have been quite a few in the WNBA. Players have to go to domestic violence talks at the beginning of the season. I'm pretty sure every team has to do it. So it's something that's discussed. Um and it's known, so why wasn't there anything in place? Because it's something that they push anyway as a league. So I I, I don't know. I, I just think this was grossly mishandled by the W, and it, I, don't, I don't even know why, honestly. It just doesn't make any sense to me. But it definitely needs to get addressed so that moving forward it makes more sense. Because, I mean, even now it kind of feels like Natasha came out with – this came out with Natasha, and to me it felt like when I first heard that they suspended – um, Raquana, to me, it felt like they were just suspending her. So just in case something did happen with Natasha, they could justify suspending her. And it was kind of like, well, now it's too late. Like you said, you weren't, you didn't know what you were going to do about this. So I, I don't know. I just think it's really messy and it doesn't make any sense what they're trying to do. Um, but it, it should have been handled a lot better and hopefully moving forward. If something else does happen, which I hope it doesn't, but if it does, there is, you know, rules in place that will make this go a lot smoother and make a lot more sense to everybody. And can I just say this too? Like, uh, I don't know what the grievances of the players association and, and Deb, I agree with everything you said, like, but the, the players association, I would like to know what this grievance is. If they're saying she should still be getting paid, I'm okay with them following that. But if they're saying that she should still be playing, I'm just wondering, since the Players Association or Players Union is made up of players, who all did they ask how they felt about it before they make a statement on behalf of the players? You know what I mean? Like, I'm curious to know, did they I'm ask gonna be honest, all? As somebody who's been on the board, <laughs> been a part of the Players Association, they don't always ask. Sometimes they just make decisions. So, well, and see, and maybe that's, that's their, maybe that's how they do things. But to me, I thought, that a player's association or a player's union is about how the players feel. Don't you also have to speak? I, I, for me, if I hear speaking on behalf of the players in this situation, I'm not, I'm not necessarily thinking about the players as in everyone else. I'm thinking as in like Raquana is a player in the WNBA. And I, as a part of this association should have the authority to speak on her behalf, because the reality is as disturbing as this, as this incident is 
um, the current collective bargaining agreement as far as what the the article states of what constitutes as player conduct she's not been found guilty of anything so the reality is is that they made a decision based off an ongoing investigation where a conclusive decision has not been made and so for the players association to file a grievance it does make sense because basically you are you know this is how people get tried in the court of public opinion like because if you do this you know no telling what the the media is going to say or not going to say as you've mentioned time and time again if somebody were to go on google and look up this information you'll find it so then to add to that a suspension before a decision is made of guilt or not being guilty it kind of you're, you're kind of already set the set the narrative that she has to be guilty or else why is she being suspended or whatever so i do think that you know dev you are a hundred percent when you say you definitely should have taken care of this before it got this far and to even go further back and i know we have to wrap this up but to even go further back when the situation with glory and britney happened a few years ago and they both faced the seven game suspension at that should have been the time in my opinion where this was a policy or something like this should have been set in stone or should have been decided on or should have been talked about or something because um, that it's not the first time that we've seen this in this league. And if something happened once, there's a very high chance that it will happen again. So I don't understand at all why something like this has not already been discussed and put a policy in place to handle it because we've seen it with two of the league's biggest stars. Even before that, with Shamika Holskall and Jen Lacey, that, that was another incident even before, well before that. Like, it's happened, and that was a major incident, too. And, yeah, here we are. And I think that was even before the um, CBA negotiations, the last one. So you could have, you know, put it in there. You had plenty of opportunity. But going, and again, I know we do have to wrap, but going back to the Player Association, Tariqa, I totally disagree with that because they have, they do – have the ability to represent Raquan in that situation, but she also has the ability to file a grievance with her own lawyers, Mm -hmm. with her own legal team on behalf of herself, because the WNBA just does not represent Raquan Williams. How they act in this situation is a decision that the union as a whole has to make, right? And so I don't know what that process is, but if the other... Say if it's the board or if it's the other 144 players in the league. Did I make that number up? I think you okay. made that number up. Um, anyway, <laughs> what's 12 times 12? 12 times 12 is 144. That's right. But, right, the other 143, in this case, players in the league, if they are saying, like, listen, we don't feel comfortable, like, with her being on the court, we think this is not cool, like, we want the league to take a stronger stance in WNB, uh, like, the WNB to take, take a stronger stance in domestic violence, it's not up to the union to say, well, we're going to represent her. No. There has to be some moral clause in there, too, like, or or some some voting process where whatever voice the Players Association decides to use is a collective agreement of the players, not of a player. This is certainly going to continue to be a hot topic, I am sure. And I know we are all interested in finding a resolution uh, or seeing what the resolution to this is going to be. Coming up on the other side of the break, fans, we are going to talk WNBA All-Star Plus fourth quarter. Dev's quarter. She's got some great news to share and uh we're excited about it. So stay right where you are. We'll be right back. Third quarter. 
scouting report. Ladies, it is All-Star Week approaching, and I know that y'all are excited. I am excited. LaChina, you're actually going to be in Las Vegas. I'm not jealous or nothing, but okay. Yes, you are. Don't hate. <laughs> I'm going to be up there with Snoop. I'm a little jealous. I'm going to be Snoop up on the stage. Don't worry. I'm a little, I'm a little in my feelings, but it's okay. Um, well, the all-star starters and reserves have been named for those who missed it. Um, really quickly for our Western Conference all-stars, Chelsea Gray, Jewel Lloyd, Kayla McBride, Odyssey Sims, Dewana Bonner, Natasha Howard, Neka Ogumake, Asia Wilson, Liz Cambage, Sylvia Files, and Brittany Griner. And for our Eastern Conference all-stars, there's Diamond DeShields, Kia Nurse, Allie Quigley, Christy Tolliver, Courtney Vandersloot, Erica Wheeler, Elena Deladon, Candace Dupree, Alyssa Thomas, Jonquil Jones, and Tina Charles. So, ladies, let's discuss um, who do we feel was a surprise to us being named to the All-Star team, and who do we feel was snubbed? I know who my snub is. It's Jasmine Thomas. I feel like Jasmine should have made it, but okay. Um, but China, let's start with you. Um, I hate to admit this, but Tarika and I actually both had Jasmine Thomas the same. I had her as well on my all-star list. Um, that doesn't happen very often. At all. And I are on the same page, so we need to celebrate that moment in itself. Um, <laughs> you know, I really, honestly, this year has been such a weird year. It's just been strange, right? Like with all the injuries and the team up and downs, and it's just been one of those years where I probably have zero complaints with <laughs> who was selected. Like the reserves, I never really have an issue with because the coaches pay attention. Like you can't say that the coaches don't know who the most effective. We got the best players in the world, the best coaches in the world in this league. And so you can't say, oh, the coaches don't know what they're talking about. Obviously, they know who they're preparing for night in, night out, right? And so I, I, I trust their instincts in that. I, again, I, and I don't want to be the dead horse, but my issues are more so with the process of the fan involvement and the player voting and all that frou-frou stuff that ends up in giving us our starters. Like, I just think the percentages, I trust the media, the WNBA media. I think their percent of input should be higher, um, I love y'all fans, but y'all's need to be lower. Um, <laughs> I don't think players should get to vote on other players. Like, that's where the coaches – like, coaches have a say on the reserve, so let them have a say on the reserve because that's the team aspect of who we think the most dangerous players in the league are, not like she pulled my hair last game, so I definitely ain't voting for her. So take the players out of it. I don't even know if all of them vote. So what happens then? You know, like some players are probably like, guys, don't forget to turn in your votes. And then some teams are like, we didn't even know we could vote. So um, that's really my thing. Obviously, like I said, Jasmine Thomas, I thought could have been in. Uh, De'Erica Hamby, you know, I, I really think she's had a, a great year and would love to have seen her slide in. I know she's had some dips as of late. But based on when the voting happens, like, you got to look at all that stuff. Like, when the voting happens, for, for example, Chicago. I didn't expect Chicago to get three All-Stars. They're, like, eighth in the league right now. But maybe when the voting happened, they were probably on a winning streak. But everybody in the league has been on a winning streak. So it's been – it's just been inconsistent up and down enough that anybody could end up being an All-Star. But those are the two people that, you know, I would make a small case for – 
definitely Jasmine Thomas, but you know, like it is what it is. I'm, everybody, I'm happy for y'all. Go have fun, tear Vegas up, but like we need to fix those voting percentages because it's that that bothers me. Dev, um, I kind of want to know who you would have replaced Jasmine with. Like who you would have taken out? Taken Jasmine out Thomas. Um, yeah. I probably wouldn't have put both Sloot and Quigley on. I probably would have put one of the two. Which mm, that's okay. hard. That's a hard choice to make. But I do feel like yeah. Connecticut's been a top team. Like how you know, like how does a team? And and I understand balance. You know what I mean? Like I get it. Like some teams are relying more on three people. Some relying more on two. So Connecticut had Jonquel Jones and Alyssa Thomas. But that's been the number one team for most of the season. And I just think there has to be more respect for those teams that perform at the highest level, especially a point guard on one of those teams. Like, Jasmine is the person that makes that go. Do I think she's had a bigger impact on Connecticut being one of the top teams in the league for most of the season than Courtney Vandersloot has on Chicago? Yeah, I have, honestly. Yeah, so, you really don't hmm. agree much, but we are 100% together on this one because I was thinking the oh, wow. same thing. Yep. So that that would be mine, Dev. I mean, but I, I'm actually okay. not even looking at the all-star roster. I might come up with somebody else, but off the top of my head, I put more emphasis on how teams perform. And so plan, that's yeah. my thing. That's fair. I honestly was kind of cool with the all-star selection. I think the only one that was kind of um, – I could have been a snub for me was Dierica, but I don't know who she would have been replacing. Because I think – I think that for me, her impact on the game is crucial. Like when she's in the game, it's known and it may not always appear on the stat sheet, but she really changes the game when she comes in. And especially for being, you know, like a a major bench player coming in. Like I, I think, I mean, I understand that that's important, but when it comes to straight stats, I don't know who she would be beating out to be on the Ulster team, to be honest, but I just appreciate what she does for the game when she gets in. But other than that, I was pretty okay with everybody that was on here. I mean, especially with the way the season has gone. Um, And it's been so many ups and downs. And with a lot of the superstars being out, I think it just gave a lot of opportunity for other people to get get in that normally may not have. So, I mean, I I like the selections. I think I thought they were all right. And let me say this, too, because I actually have a, a A and a B. So if if we could do over, do over, and I know we're talking more about the reserves right now because those just came out, but Jasmine Thomas could have been in instead of Kia Nurse, who I I love Kia. I think she's a great player. But again, team performance-wise, New York versus Connecticut, right? And then the next guard would have been probably Sloop. Again, for the reasons that I named before. But, I mean, Sloop's also had an amazing season. Yeah. The nurse has had her I, moments. But I would put Jasmine Thomas ahead of both of those. If Jasmine Thomas had gotten in, was that her first? I'm sorry, was was that would that have been oh, her first also no. or not? I don't, no. I don't, I don't, I don't think, think so. so. No. Uh-uh. I don't think so. But I could see Jasmine over Kia Nurse for sure. I definitely can see that. We know you from Chicago. Don't listen. Uh, go ahead. I don't know, man. I just been watch, I've been to a lot of Chicago she games. So the way Flute and Quigley been playing, man, like, I, know, I, no, I don't know that I'm great. taking them out. Yeah, they've been playing amazing. I think that they're still kind of a young team. So it's hard. You know, it's hard to, like, grind some of these games out. But, I, I mean. If you take Jasmine Thomas 
off of Connecticut? Are they anywhere near in the top half of the league? Like, and you can take Courtney Vandersloot off, but they're not in the top half of the league anyway. So that there you yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's the conversation. Okay. Legit, well, ladies. But, oh, I'm sorry. All right. oh, go no, ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, I just. I mean, I, I just, I, that's, but you already said that you consider it of your team too, but it's like still all-stars. So it's like a player. You know what I mean? I don't know. It's but weird. You're, if you're the best player on like, and that happens too, yeah. Okay, say you're the best player on the worst team, then you might get one player in if you're on the worst team. And in the, in the cases of WNBA, no, no one got in from Atlanta, nobody got in from Dallas. But like three players or like a starter I just think it's weird like to me I don't know that, yeah, that's yeah. just how I see it like for example like like Washington they had Christy Tolliver and Elena Deladon as good as they've been but could you really name a third because they're so balanced yeah. and I think Chicago's somewhat the same way like yes those are their top three players but could they've had some other pieces have good nights too right so I mean I mean it's hard and I'm and I'm I'm really nitpicking right now, but that's – I take team into consideration. You can't tell me they didn't in Vegas. Like, you can't tell yeah. me that – I mean, Asia Wilson has not had the best – Oh, and they were voted in because of votes. But if we were doing this, like, for real, for real, there yeah. aren't going to be some numbers that say Derek and Hamby should have been the post player who played – you yeah. know, was taken first from Vegas over Asia and Liz. So – I mean, it's a lot of different ways you can look at it, but I'm just keeping it real. Well, I know that we are all going to be excited to see the game. Please make sure that you are following LaChina on social media because I'm pretty sure... Who said I was going to be on social media? Don't be... No, that's going to tell the real story of what's going on. If I'm hanging out with you, I will not be on social media. (laughs) And also, fans, in case you are unaware of where you can find the game, it is going to be airing on ABC Saturday, July 27th, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 12.30 Pacific. So do not miss it. And with that, we'll head into our fourth quarter. Fourth quarter, out of bounds. All right, ladies, fourth quarter, and we are going out with a bang because uh, Miss Devro Peters is doing some amazing things. Hey. And we want to give her an opportunity to share with our Around the Rim listeners what she's got going on and what tricks she has up her sleeve. So, Dev, tell us what you got coming up. That's super exciting. So I, as a lot of you know, I started my own production company and I've been working really, really, really hard this last year. Um, And I'm starting like an interview series. I actually just finished post-production on my first uh, mini documentary. Um, So I got a lot of stuff going on that I'm excited to put out. And tomorrow we got a big announcement for the launch. And so, you know, it's going to be, it's going to be some good stuff. I'm excited to see where it goes and, Hopefully have everyone's support because I need it if I want to get some more investors. <laughs> like, Ooh, that's but, right. Listen, <laughs> we got to get these coins, y'all. In. So um, I've been excited. I've been working extremely hard. I've literally been sleeping like four hours a night <laughs> between interviewing people and editing and getting other stuff done. So uh, it's been a lot of hard work, but we're getting close to everything starting to be put out so i'm excited and hopefully y'all get excited and watch 
Dev, um, I am interested in you sharing because first of all, I'm so proud of you and I know how hard you've been working and I know how long this has been in the works and um, I, I just want you to share why this was important for you to do. Um, so for me, like I've said this before, but like representation is really, really important to me. Um, and I just don't think the WNBA is represented enough in like media as far as video. We have, um, a lot of you all out here writing amazing articles that have great blogs, but when it comes to video content, there's not a whole lot of creative content out there for players in the sense that it is for like the NBA or a lot of other sports leagues. Um, and we just don't have like the storylines. And I think that we have one of the most diverse and um, most educated leagues in, you know, the country. And you don't tap into that with the players. And you have all these players that do all these things. They have all these businesses. They have all these interests. They have all these foundations that they work for. And you don't hear enough about it or see it. Um, and so I wanted to create a platform where players get to speak their mind and you get to hear their stories and really get to know them better um, and have that connection with them because uh, they're very personable. <laughs> I'm sure a lot of our fans can attest to like WNBA players are very receptive to fans and very open um, and do a lot for them. And I think this is just a way for people to get to know them better and um, just get more content and just see who they really are and um, just, Make that change because, I mean, I think that's how we grow is by getting the players' personalities out there because we have so many amazing women in, in our league. We so proud of you, Dad. I know. <laughs> I know. We're excited for it. Actually, it's funny because Tarika and I have been working this summer on, you know, trying to create a visual for Around the Rim for the same reasons, you know, like we yes. need more. And we came up with, a you know, a couple of different concepts and how we could – start a YouTube page or do something because you're right. There's not enough video content. And when we do get it, it's not easily consumable. Like it's not easy. Like you can just go yeah. and click and watch, you know, it's like, okay, you got to go to WNBA.com website and it's buffering. And then, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, mm-hmm. especially with the way the relationships you have, the respect you have, how real and honest you are, like, you're going to be able to get some material that no one else can get. You know, like that's one thing that people have to understand about media that I had to come to grips with when it comes to media. And you see it happening now as in, as a trend, NBA TV or Turner and even, you know, ESPN, where it's the players that have the relationships with other players. Like it was, um, wasn't it Perkins? I think it was Perkins that broke the news on how KD really felt about Gold State. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. the people who have those that have played on teams or, you know, players just respect that Dev, you've been through the grind, you're a champion, like you know like your perspective and how you'll relate in those situations with those players is even different how and how I can relate or how a writer can relate. And so that's what excites me the most is just the genuine relationship and the genuine respect and how that is going to level your interviews, your interactions in a whole nother space that fans will get to enjoy. And I also love that you are taking this bull by the horns. You're not sitting back and complaining about what we don't have for the WNBA. You're creating something, you know, and, um, you know, doing something about it. 
So shout out to Deb, and we will be retweeting and tweeting the announcement stuff because it's happening tomorrow morning. If you're listening <laughs> right. to the podcast, it's Wednesday, tomorrow's Thursday. So make sure you check out Deb. Congrats, Carol. Super congrats. Thank you. Well, ladies, we are coming to the end of another awesome show. Um just want to say thank you all to the fans we appreciate you continuing to show us love and to check us out we are on twitter at around the rim pod uh lachina is at lachina robinson dev is at miss peters 14 i am at she knows sports underscore and by the way i am on an 11 day vacation after today so if y'all don't hear from me it's not personal it's just i'm relaxing (laughs) you deserve it tarika go and relax you better at least watch the all-star game i am i'm gonna watch the all-star game i'll I'll be doing that i will be watching it where are you going i am going on a mini yeah no i am i am going on a mini southern southeastern part of the u.s tour so i am going to i leave for raleigh north carolina I'll be in Atlanta this weekend. Um, mm. From Atlanta, I'm hitting Myrtle Beach. And then from Myrtle Beach, I'll be in Charlotte. Mm. Oh, yes, check me out. I'll be watching the All-Star Game with the little beverage that comes in a pineapple with an umbrella. Okay. Oh, Lord. <laughs> well, enjoy your break. You deserve it. Be safe. And you better come back. I'm coming back. Thank you for listening to Around the Rim. Check out more podcasts from ESPN on the ESPN app.